0: Welcome to the Some Sort of Miracle podcast. I am Paul. You'll notice that I'm not Ed. Um, Ed has given me the reins for tonight. Um, And I am with Nick. Hello. And we've got an interview for you with Rod Williams. Um, Rod is a friend of mine. Um, We work together at Christians Against Poverty, and he's got a great story um, of his testimony that we want to share with you today.
1: Um, So, Rod, it's great to see you today, Um, virtually, of course virtually well it's fantastic uh, to be here thank you paul and nick for inviting me been really really looking forward to being on this podcast really count it a privilege to have this opportunity just to share my heart and to share the goodness of god
2: fantastic yeah i've been i must say i've been looking forward to this all day as well having read um your book and and knowing a little bit about your story as well i think um it'd be really really interesting for our listeners to hear as well i've got a little bit on my notes here just uh so it just says the word magic um so I'm told, Rod, that you are, in fact, magic. Um, and I'd, l- I'd like to explore that a little bit more. So, yeah, is there something that you can share with us on that?
1: Well, it must be because uh, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm apparently, I'm a magician or illusionist. Um, so, yeah, so from a very young age, probably 30 years ago now, I started doing uh, card tricks and uh, and started to impress people and uh, really enjoyed the way people are reacted and uh and uh and then yeah really that's continued that sort of interest that hobby that probably turned into more of uh, a a sort of a semi-career um about six or seven years ago so yeah I do that as a bit of a side hustle a side business but also use it and more importantly um for evangelistic purposes so yeah I do like uh, a trick or two
2: Excellent. Yeah. Is there anything that you could um, you could share with us? I know it's difficult because we're uh, we don't have video on the podcast, but is there anything that you could do um, with sounds that you could? Fantastic. Yeah. I can do something
1: for you, Nick. OK, so people will be able to, even though they're listening, they'll be able to gauge your reactions. And Nick, we've not set this up before, have we? No, no, no. OK, Nick, I'm going to throw you a virtual pack of cards through the screen. OK, I want you to catch them now. Got that, yep, got Got that. Brilliant, take the cards out, shuffle the cards, Nick, mix them up, are you doing that?
2: Absolutely, I've just got one on my desk here, swiveling around. Brilliant,
1: excellent, excellent. Quick, Oh, I think you've just dropped one on the floor. Pick that up, please, Nick. Pick that card you've just dropped. Brilliant, have a look at that card. That's that's your card, don't show me. Have a look at that card, okay? Have you got that? Now turn it upside down. Turn yeah. it upside down. Put it back in the pack so that it's facing down. All the other cards are facing up. Your card that you randomly pick by dropping it on the floor is face down. Correct?
2: That's right, yeah.
1: Okay, put them back in the box, please, Nick. Back in there, and yeah. Could... Brilliant. Could you... You're doing really well. Uh, could you throw <laughs> the box back to me through the screen? Here we go. You ready? Yeah. There we go. Brilliant. Excellent. Okay, Nick, that's amazing. For the first time, Nick, I've got a pack of cards, a real pack of cards in my hand. You can see them on the screen. They're going to remain right in front of you the whole time. What what card did you turn over in the pack, the one that you dropped on the floor? What card was it? I turned over the Ace of Hearts. The Ace of Hearts, and you could have chosen any card, correct? That's right, yeah. Okay, look, I'm going to take the cards um, out of the pack. Sorry. Yeah, you got that? Yeah. And you can see, I'm showing you all the face up cards, but there's going to be one card turned over because earlier on today, I dropped these cards on the floor. And I turned one card over. Can you see that card that's turned over in the pack? I can see.
2: Yeah, yeah, I can see
1: that. Would that be mad if it was the Ace of Hearts?
2: Yeah, but it would really be mad. I'm excited here.
1: <laughs> that was incredible. That's the Ace of Hearts, Nick. Wow did well, you did well, you did well.
2: That's incredible.
1: That is incredible. I have absolutely no idea how that's happened.
2: <laughs> I can
0: confirm <laughs> as an innocent bystander a, that, that wasn't That's a little
1: out. taster. Um, but if you want to see more, you'll have to book me for a, a private Zoom virtual show. So, uh, yeah, I can tell Fantastic. you about that. Yeah, we'll, the podcast. <laughs> we'll
2: get some details and uh, towards the end about that. Yeah, and I'm sure people might be uh, a little bit more Great. interested about that. So, yeah, we'll get all that that lined up so over to you paul i think you've got um got some questions to to kick us off
0: yes i think um i think we'll just start with a, a little overview of yourself really rod um so if you want to tell us about yourself and your role at christians against poverty
1: Yes, so yeah, so yeah, my name's Rod, I'm married to Kate, I have two daughters, a three-year-old and a 22-year-old, and I, I don't look old, old enough to have a 22-year-old daughter, but I do. And <laughs> uh, yeah, so we live in Bradford, I work uh, for Christians Against Poverty, uh, that's sort of one of the roles that I do. I, I oversee the the evangelism um, training and equipping for all our frontline workers across CAP's network of partner churches. Um, so I obviously the training, also speaker outreach events uh, that our partner churches put on for the clients that they connect with in the community. Obviously through because of COVID, I don't do the physical events, so uh, it's more sort of virtual events and things like that now. I've been working for Cap for eleven years. I actually ran and managed a debt center for five years. I did an area manager role, and the last sort of five six years has been more uh, sort of overtly involved with the the evangelism. Um, which has been amazing also um, founder of a ministry called Real Deal Ministries which is a ministry uh, that facilitates uh, my book really or free copies of my book to go into prisons in the UK to offer hope and healing and uh, also speak at churches doing sort of real deal events where I use the magic and I use my story um, to yeah communicate the greatest message ever told so but I think everything that I do, everything that I, I'm involved with, you know, is all about evangelism and reaching the lost. And, you know, if it's not that, then I'm not interested. You know, that's my passion. That's what yeah, I love to do and love to equip other others to do as well.
0: Yeah, it's great to hear. I was going to ask next if you've got any uh, hobbies that you like in your spare time apart from magic. But it doesn't sound like you've got that much spare time left. So uh, <laughs> is there anything else you take interest in into any sports or anything like that?
1: um do i do any sports um I p- play snooker <laughs> is that classed as a sport well yeah i'll
0: class that as a sport yeah definitely I like a game of snooker
1: yeah so uh yeah and uh, me and my wife do like watching uh, a good box set and, and and we relax that way actually so yeah yeah of a lockdown i can definitely identify with
0: watching a good box set 100%. definitely yeah um yes yeah, so i think we'll get we'll get straight into um into your story rod so if you want to take us away with your um
1: your testimony really and we'll jump in with questions as and when. Yeah okay so yeah I've not always been um, passionate about telling other people about Jesus. Um, I suppose at one point in my life my greatest passion was making money and and I would look at making money through really illegal activities such as dealing drugs and smuggling drugs and and also, you know, gambling as well. And uh, that played quite a big part of my life for a number of years. Um, And really, between the age of sort of 17 and 24, um, addiction controlled my life and took me to a place at 24 of standing in the Crown Court in Guernsey in the Channel Islands, being uh, remanded I mean, police in prison, sorry, um, for smuggling drugs into the island, for smuggling heroin and crack cocaine. And I remember standing in the courtroom that day. I was an addict. Um, um, I was emotionally, mentally unstable. And I didn't think that there was any hope for me. I later got sentenced to four years. And a lot of people that knew me didn't think there was any hope for Rod Williams, just because of the person I'd become and, and the life that I'd led. And it's interesting because a lot of people who, you know, knew me at that time just thought that I must have had a bad upbringing. They thought oh, Rod's parents were probably addicts themselves um, or criminals. And this was always going to be Rod's path in life. And that couldn't really be further from the truth. And I would just want to take you back to the beginning, um, of my life, I had a really good upbringing. Um, my parents, we were living in South Wales at the time, uh, were Christians. And so from a very young age, I was taught good Christian values and principles. I had an older sister, still have an older sister, um, a few years older than me. And we just, yeah, we, we lived in Wales. My, fam- my parents uh, worked for the police force. So my dad was a I'm a chief inspector in South Wales. And my mum for some time worked as a secretary um, to the chief of police in in Swansea. Uh, So from a very young age, I knew the difference between right and wrong in relation to the law. So it's quite ironic, I suppose, some people think of of the path I ended up taking in life. I certainly didn't want to be a a policeman. But, yeah, I didn't set out to be a drug dealer either. I'm age four. Um, my parents' marriage, unfortunately, broke down. They separated and later, um, a couple of years later, divorced. And, you know what, even though that did happen, and obviously, you know, it wasn't, yeah, a really, you know, good, good, good season, so, certainly for my mum. I can't re- remember too much of the breakup, but my dad, who left the family home, still remained in good contact with me and my sister. Um, their relation was as amicable as it, as it could have been. And um, so, yeah, and, and, you know, the... There's no denying that my dad, both my dad and, and my mum, still provided well for me and my sister and showed us a lot of love and care. I know that's not always the case, but it was for us. Um, so, about, yeah, when I was age 10, by that time, both my parents then had married other partners, and my mum married a man from Guernsey. And uh, because he had a successful business on the island, it made sense for us to move over and start a new life. And that's what we did. So, you know, age 10, 1989, I think it was, um, we moved to this amazing island, uh, a very um, affluent island, an island that some people have heard referred to as Millionaire's Paradise. My stepdad had, you know, he'd done really, really well. He owned a business on the island and owned a, a house that wouldn't have looked out of place on Dallas, if you've ever seen Dallas. So, for a 10 year old, moving to this amazing island with Lots of beaches and surrounded by sea and then moving into this mini mansion that had a swimming pool and the garden the size of a small football pitch. It was quite, it was kind of, well, I'd say it was quite easy to settle into this new way of life and uh, it brought with it good opportunities. Um, At the time, sort of around that time, you know, the finance industry was booming in Guernsey. I always had a, yeah, love for maths. That was my favourite subject at school. And, uh, you know, I always wanted, you know, to work in the finance industry. So I did the school thing and, uh, you know, made friends quickly and uh, and settled just settled well into into island life my stepdad was a christian as well so we went to the church that that he went to and do you know what i went to church practically every sunday up until i was age 16 and it's interesting because you know it's true isn't it going to church doesn't make us a christian doesn't make anybody a christian being born into a christian country doesn't make us a christian or being born into a christian a family mate doesn't make us a christian and you know even though i went to church for that long i'd never made that de- decision to ask jesus into my life i didn't want to follow jesus I didn't really get what you know the god stuff was it was fine for my family but it was just, yeah, I just didn't get it or, or desire it at all. I do remember one opportunity though. I think it was six, just before I stopped going to church, where there was an evangelist that did come one particular night, and he he shared the gospel message. I do remember that particular night, which was the first time I believe that I ever, there was I ever felt something in my heart, and I realised now that was that was the Holy Spirit, you know, um, sort of giving me that opportunity, that that window of grace that I believe we all get in our life to respond. And I just, yeah, I'd felt, yeah I would felt uncomfortable, but in a way that was drawing me towards God and the life that I suppose he had for me. But I hardened my heart that time. And I said, no, I resisted the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And I stopped going to church almost immediately from then. And I started. It's interesting because I always think if I'd made that decision that night, would I ever have gone down the path that I'm just about to tell you about? Because um, I stopped going to church and I'm at college now doing a business studies course and at college on the island. I, I started to go go around with a, a new group of people and just some new friends, really. I stopped hanging out with my church friends and I was making new friends and these new friends. Um, On a Monday, they'd come into college and they would talk about what they'd got up to, going to house parties and experimenting with with drugs and drinking and all that kind of stuff. And and I was quite, quite curious as to why they were enjoying all the things that my dad told me, you know, never to go near, because obviously through his work... You know, he saw the effects and the consequences of of drugs and addiction every day. And and but my friends, new friends were like saying how awesome it was. And and I was just curious. And and it wasn't that long, to be honest, maybe a few months of hearing these stories, um, that I started to go out with them and I started to drink and I started to go to these parties. And one particular night, yeah, I started to smoke cannabis, smoke weed. And I'll be honest with you, I enjoyed it. Um, I enjoyed the buzz, and I just didn't think that yeah that you know, there was anything wrong with it really. My parents, I thought, well they don't need to know. I'm doing all right at college. What's what's the problem? And I also felt accepted, you know, you know, in school. You know, I I, I was never part of the the popular group, you know, the the gang. And I suppose in a sense, you know, I was quite envious of the people that were. But now I was involved and, and accepted into this popular group and and so there was just an element that that of that element that drew me in as well and they didn't pressure me to do anything to take drugs or anything like that because in life we make our own choices don't we so I don't blame them at all um and to be honest I was quite happy doing what they were doing and as the weeks went on and the months went on any opportunity I would have to smoke weed I would do it and and because I was like I said getting on well at a college my parents, certainly in the early days, didn't see any signs of the things I was involved with. Anyway, fast forward the clock. I got my college uh, qualification. I'm age 18. And within a month, I got a job working in the finance industry on the island as a trainee accountant initially. initially. And uh, my parents were proud. They, you know, I was going to work suited and booted, earning good money. And it just seemed that things, you know, were, were, were looking bright for my life and a good, good career ahead. But what happened was I was earning quite good money for somebody my age, which meant then I had more, you know, had money to spend on the wrong things. And I gravitated um, then into the club scene and the pub scene on the island I started to go to the pubs and clubs and I got introduced to ecstasy. And I started to take ecstasy, and that became my drug of choice. I really enjoyed the the buzz that taking the MDMA gave me, that euphoric feeling, a feeling of confidence I'd never had before. And again, it just helped me widen my circle of friends and acquaintances, having that confidence, and that included drug dealers. And one particular night, one of the dealers gave me a bag of ecstasy tablets. So, and uh, there were a number of tablets in the back and he asked if I would sell them for him. And he, he, he saw that, you know, I, well, he, he thought that I had a good head on me and he didn't think that I would get caught or mess anything up. And he said, you can make an extra few quid on the weekend, Rod. I'm giving, giving them to you five pounds cheaper than what you can sell them for. And I just saw the, the pound sign flash in front of me. I saw that this was an easy way to make, you know, a few extra quid on the weekend or pay for my weekend, really. Not that I needed that money because I was earning good money anyway uh, for somebody my age and I took the drugs and I sold them uh, that night my friends bought them off me because they trusted me and that night I went home and I counted the money I kept my cut which was around about 100 pound and uh, and I paid you know the dealer eventually what what I, what I owed him and uh, and that just really created in me an appetite for more of, of that and more of that world. And I, I would take on more drugs and more tablets as the weeks went on. And it got to the point that then I would walk into pubs and clubs and people would flock to me because they knew I had something that would make their weekend better. And at the end of the, the night, I would count again all the cash. And this time it was, you know, in the hundreds. And then as time went on, it would be in the thousands on a weekend. And, uh, you know, and it just was drawn in, you know, through the, this this power thing that I felt I had on people because they all wanted to, to be with me, and because I had the drugs, and the popularity thing, and the pleasure that that whole thing gave me. And I was just drawn in very, very quickly, and then it led on to me dealing other drugs and whatever came into the island. You know, I would know about it, and I would, you know, be selling it basically, amphetamines um ecstasy cannabis speed anything that was that, that that I could make money on I would take on and I just thought I was invincible because I had my good job my family I had a really good reputation on the island and I didn't think that police would suspect me um because of because of that and uh and ov- obviously because I, I was I wasn't just selling I was taking them as taking drugs as well and it did start to have as, as drugs do an impact on my mental state, my emotional state, and my family began to see those signs. Uh, they were became worried. Uh, they became concerned. Um, they would challenge me. My dad, who was living in Wales, still a police. He's just come. He just he just retired actually from the police at that point. And he would, you know, he would speak to me and say, you know, this life that you're you're leading, and Rod, you're going to end up. Um, there's a, there's three, um, there's three ways you're going to end up. He said, you can either end up in hospital, in prison or six feet under. That's what he said. And, and I would just deny it. I wasn't at that place of listening to the advice because I was, there was still an enemy, an enema, element of enjoyment of that lifestyle. I hadn't reached rock bottom. And I just thought that I'd convinced myself that all I needed to do was just make enough money, maybe a million quid. Um, and then I, then I could stop. Then I would stop and, and just carry on with my life. You know, I'd have a nice bit of money behind me, maybe even retire early in my 20s. And I was just believing this lie. But obviously, you know, taking the drugs had this, this effect on my mental health. Um, And and then I just started to make even more unwise decisions. I started to smuggle drugs into the island because I wanted to make more money. I started to cut out the, the main guy I was selling for. And things started to go wrong. And and my, my attempts started to go wrong and people would get arrested and go to prison for things I was involved with. I started to get in debt because, um, of, because of losing money that way, um, but also gambling. I became a gambling addict and I would be in the bookies sometimes, you know, from opening to closing, uh, certainly on a Saturday, and, and I would take sick days off from work because of gambling and I was addicted to, to betting on horses and dogs and anything really that I could bet on. And to give you an idea of how bad or extreme the gambling was, between the age of 18 and 24, I lost over a hundred thousand pounds gambling. That's how how bad it was. So that, you know, that amount of money, you know, ninety percent of that was 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 drugs money, which meant, you know, I I wasn't paying the people that I owed money to, which meant I was in debt, which meant I was getting threatened. And uh, and this life, I suppose, that had promised me everything—the power, the pleasure, the popularity, all the things that perhaps I thought were going to be the answers for in my life, bringing peace and contentment and happiness—all it all it was doing now was destroying my life. And believe it or not, I was still—I'm I'm sort of—I'm probably 22, 23 now. So I've been living this life for four or five years. Um, And I I was still working in the bank. I was still working in finance industry, trying to hold down a job while living this double life. My boss was very gracious because I'd got arrested one particular night. I got caught with two ecstasy tablets and cannabis. I got charged. I got a big fine, but I escaped prison. And my boss, he just kept on giving me a chance, even though he knew what I was doing and heard the rumours, because Guernsey's very small, um, but he be, he must've liked me, but then it got to the point when I was 23, um, I started to take heroin and I became addicted to heroin. And I started, um, because of my addiction, I was smoking it in the toilets at my work in the bank. And, uh, and yeah, long story short, I ended up losing my job. I ended up losing everything within a 12 month period. Everything I'd lost my house because I had my own house by this point reputation gone it was go it'd gone anyway, but you know everybody knew now because I was a heroin addict and it was ov- it was evident um because of the things I was doing um any decent relationship I had destroyed my family's um, we're, we're, we're even more worried by now, my parents, especially my mum, because her, her and my stepdad's house were, were raided probably on half a dozen occasions by police, by customs, just searching for drugs or arresting me or looking for me. And it just happened continuously. And it really affected my mum, actually. She was a worrier anyway, but this intensified that. Um, and the only thing she could do, and I say the only thing, it was the best thing she could do, was pray. And she prayed 24-7, believing that God was going to come, you know, to get me, basically. And uh, and she would tell me she was praying, and I didn't listen, I didn't want to know. Uh, but she continued to to persist and not give up. My dad did too, and lots of people were praying. Anyway, ended up then running to, running off to Thailand after I'd lost my job at the end of two thousand. Uh, and and one became addicted to methamphetamine in Thailand and, and other things. Then in early 2002, I ended up in a squat in Brixton and that was my probably lowest place. That was my rock bottom. I was in a crack den. I was using cracker cane now as well, spending thousands a week literally on the drug. I was still sending stuff back to Guernsey to sell to feed my habit and because I was in still in debt, uh, long story short, one of the dealers I had money to really th- threaten me with a knife and baseball bat. And the only way I could pay the debt was to take drugs back to the island on me myself. And uh, and I was initially going to post it, send it through Royal Mail, because that's what I'd done before. But at the last minute, I decided to take the drugs on me myself back to the island on the plane because I didn't want to pay 500 pound for somebody to go and pick pick it up from an address that's what we would do so I thought, I'll do the dirty work I thought to myself I'm not going to get caught police aren't going to think I'm, I'm I'd be stupid enough to do the dirty work so that's what I believed long story short I got arrested and busted at the airport and I was banged to rights. I didn't even really try to hide the packages. They were just on me, basically. And 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 they were found. And I knew straight away that I was facing a long sentence, uh, four to six years. That's what I was thinking in my head. And uh, as I said, at the start, I got sentenced to four years. I ended up serving out of those four years, two years and two months. And uh, And yeah, being in prison gave me a lot of time on my hands to to think and to reflect uh, of, you know, the things that I'd done, the people I'd hurt, And I really wanted, you know, to change and I really wanted out of this lifestyle and this this, this sort of mental torment that was going on on 24-7. You know, obviously the addiction, you know, I was having to withdraw from drugs. I was having to face the reality of where I was and, and the pain, reliving the pain now of what I'd put my family through. You know, I, I started to talk to them and they were very gracious and loving and forgiving. And that really touched my heart because of everything that I'd put them through. And I remember my mum saying to me the first time I spoke to her um, in prison and she was said to me, Rod, do you know what? She said, you know, you can't change what has happened she said, but you can change tomorrow. Your past doesn't have to dictate tomorrow. And she said, as a family, we love you. We forgive you. We want to be here for you through what's going to be a tough time, Rod. But she said, Rod, I just want you to do one thing. Will you promise me one thing? And I said, what? She said, will you just give God an opportunity to show you how real he is? Because Rod, he's the only one that can change your life. Nobody else but Jesus Christ. And of course, I'd heard who say things like that before and I'd heard the gospel preached like hundreds of times and I knew and heard about Jesus of course but when she said that I thought began to really think and, and consider that and I said yes mum I will I will I will And what my mum did, she sent me in some books, some testimony books, like The Cross and the Switchblade and Run Baby Run. And I started to read these books, stories of gang members and gangsters and people's lives who were ravaged by addiction and extreme violence. And I was reading these stories about how they were terrorising the streets of New York. And, uh, and, and, And just how one particular day, a preacher went into New York and was telling the gang members about Jesus and about how much God loved them and had a plan for their lives. And I was reading these stories as one by one, their lives are being impacted and touched by the power of God's love. And I was reading how their lives are being transformed. And then I was reading about what they were doing now, these gang members, uh, wax gang members now helping other people, making a difference, having an impact having been completely set free from that lifestyle and addiction and darkness and i went on a journey sort of in my head asking the question is this jesus really the real deal that i'm reading about could he do that for me is everything that i heard preached in church everything that my mom told me about jesus my dad was that true all along Is Jesus really God? Could he forgive me? Did he really die on the cross? All those questions like that. Is he really the real deal? And one particular night in June 2002, I got locked up, um, obviously, um, (laughs) one night. And I I thought, this is the night I'm going to give God this opportunity to show himself real to me if he's there. And uh, I got down on my knees and uh, I just leaned over my bed and there was a little prayer at the back of the book that you can pray to ask Jesus into your life, a prayer of forgiveness. And uh, I started, uh, you know, to read that prayer. But then it transitioned just into me just speaking out and crying out to God myself from my heart. And I just want to say this wasn't a crisis prayer. You know, we all we've all prayed crisis prayers. This was a genuine, authentic, sincere prayer where I wanted to know God if he was there. And I knew I needed forgiveness. Nobody needed to tell me. I knew because of how I felt. I felt guilt and I felt shame. And I just felt just so much baggage weighing me down. So I started to cry out to God. And and it was a prayer that went, Jesus, if you're real, will you show me? And I just started to ask, And it was a prayer like that that started like that. And it was just a prayer that went on to me, just saying sorry and repenting and asking Jesus to come into my life and asking for forgiveness. And I probably said sorry about a hundred times, maybe a thousand times, just saying, sorry, God, sorry, God, sorry, God, give me a brand new start. Will you help me live this new life? Jesus, will you forgive me? And I probably repeated that loads of times. And do you know what? After probably an hour of me just crying out to God, when I got up from the pad floor, nobody could have convinced me otherwise that Jesus wasn't the real deal. I knew that my prayer had been answered. I knew because I felt an explosion of, of love, God's love that I'd never experienced before, fill my heart. And I felt a peace that I'd never experienced before and a joy. And obviously later reading the Bible, I understood when I was reading those scriptures about the peace that surpasses all understanding and that God gives us that inexpressible joy when we come to him. And and, but, you know, at first, I just didn't know what was going on, but I just knew that I'd had an encounter with a living God. I just knew, knew 100 percent. Nobody could have convinced me otherwise. And I just knew that my life was going to be different and change from that moment on. Things weren't a bed of roses. I just want to say that, but things started to change. I started to read the Bible, I started to understand the Bible. I uh, couldn't put it down. I had a Gideon's Bible in my cell. I was reading it, highlighting it, writing things underneath it. I started to pray and began to seek incredible answers to prayer. And I just day by day, week by week, God was starting to do a work in my heart. And even though I, on many occasions you've read my book, I fell flat on my face, you know, a few times and, and, and things messed up. I messed up my parole because of it as well. Um, and, and I just, I suppose got to know that there what, there is a God of the second chance and the third and the unlimited. And maybe those listening today need to know just how gracious our, our God is. He's amazing. And even though I messed up and fouled up, he was always there for me to help me get back up and get going again. And uh, and he and he did, and I was just blown away and overwhelmed with with that love, really, his his unconditional love, and and then in June June the first two thousand and four, um, I got released from prison, and I decided then to go to a Christian rehab um, off the island in a place called Witness in Cheshire. And, you know, during that time, that, that that period of 16 months, having become a Christian and failing and falling and getting up multiple times, you know, I had experienced the power and presence of God. I knew he was real, but I hadn't probably committed 100%. So me going to this Christian rehab, the day I I went, I got in there on June 1st, 2004, that was the day I gave Jesus everything, 100%. It wasn't one foot in the world, one foot in the church. It was everything in all in and not looking back and there's that stuff that that verse in the bible isn't it? in seek first god's kingdom and his righteousness and he says i will add all these things to your life and that was the scripture really i stood in stood on doing that my 16 months in the christian rehab and i did my best to seek god first and his kingdom and his righteousness and do you know what things started to change. There was an acceleration of transformation. Things started to get added to my life that I never thought possible. I got healed completely from that mental torment. Um, I got healed completely from any desire to ever want to go back to that lifestyle and addiction and drugs were just not an issue or any any longer Um, I saw God restore relationships, um, you know, with with all my family members and some of my decent friends where it was right to have those relationships restored. And I started to see and have vision for my future. You know, in the rehab, there was daily Bible studies. uh, There was prayer. It was 24-7 prayer, basically. And so uh, it was really, really incredible just to have that opportunity for hardcore discipleship. And I needed that. And just I became passionate then about not just sort of knowing Jesus for myself, but also having that desire to tell other people about Jesus and recognize then my gift as an evangelist. And um, I just wanted to help everybody. And I wanted everybody to know this message because it so, so radically changed my life. My family were, were astounded with this person I'd become, my friends, you know, I'd heard about it and then some of them had, had, had come to see me, visit me in, in the rehab um sort of after, just before I graduated. They were like, "Um, oh, you've changed it. You're a different person, Rod. What's happened? And, uh, and one of them ended up coming in the rehab himself because he saw the change in my life. And he said, I want what you've got. And he came in and encountered Jesus as well, as well as since then, many of my other friends because they saw the change in me. They knew what I was like. They didn't think it was possible that I would ever change, but then they saw evidence of real, authentic transformation, and um, and then I started that journey of, of being a, an evangelist. I worked in that rehab for six, for, um, five, four to five years. After that, as a support worker, helping other addicts, ministering healing and wholeness, and just seeing just so many lives changed. And again, it just gave me more of a hunger to see more. And then I heard about CAP um, in 2009. I heard about this amazing charity that was equipping churches to reach people in their community who were in debt. But not just that, to create a vehicle, um, not just to get them out of debt, but a vehicle to Jesus and and the evangelistic opportunities. And and the church I was uh, that ran the rehab employed me then to run the CAP centre. And 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 I started to visit people in my community who were in debt and I began to witness firsthand, even more so the power of God, God's love that brings transformation to people's lives. As I saw clients, um, you know, respond to the gospel, I saw many clients, you know, as they were impacted by the love and care of the local church you know, coming alongside them, encouraging them, offering friendship and community, something they'd never experienced before. And it just created such an an inroad for for the Holy Spirit to work in their hearts. And in that five years, I saw over 40 of my own personal clients come to faith, but not just come to faith. Many of them, not to be fair, not everybody, but being honest, but I would say over half of them ended up in church, embracing discipleship, and and still going strong today, eleven years on, because they encountered an authentic gospel, and and it was almost like the the uh, it was show, you know the gospel you know gospel the show and tell gospel that's what it is. We know that we show them God's love, and then that created you know the, the trust to tell them about God's love, and and they responded, and it was incredible to see. And and 11 years on still with CAP and but doing evangelism in a different way where it's more of an equipping role now. As you know, I wrote a book in 2014 where um, I think twenty nine thousand copies now have been are in print. Most of them are in prisons in the UK. Um, And again, I wrote the book to offer yeah a message of hope and healing because I was at that place and I read similar books and and that was a big link in the chain of me coming to faith I got married in 2007 again you know seek first God's kingdom is righteousness I will add all these things to your life I never thought that I'd get married we'd be married 13 14 sorry years now and uh and i are married to and yeah an amazing woman of God who loves Jesus and loves people and uh you know, and it's true when you put God first, you know, it's it's incredible what 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 he does and, and what you see happen. It's, it's, it's almost like miracle after miracle after miracle. And one of the greatest miracles I've, I've seen is three years ago, me and my wife adopted a little baby girl. Uh, she, we saw her at 12 days old and uh, we went through the adoption process and we got approved, which is a bit of a miracle because of my past um i've only told you a few of my convictions i think i've got four four class a convictions i've got you know danger i've got i've got, I've got quite a, quite a long sort of sheet on my on my criminal record of offenses uh, but we got approved god opened the door and now we we we, we were able to to adopt and, and also foster as well we've just recently been approved for again nothing is impossible with god god opens doors that no man can shut and uh and we do serve an incredible God. And I, not only do I, you know, get to help people who are in poverty and through CAP, but also get to go into prisons as well and, and speak to prisoners and inmates and, and even schools at times as well. And, you know, we, as Christians, we carry an, an the most important powerful message that the world needs to hear. So as an evangelist, you know, I, I sort of yeah, I'm open to any sort of area or, or place where that God opens the door because it's really it's, I just count it as it's, it's a privilege and it's honor, it's an honor, isn't it, that God calls us to 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 live this life and to be His witnesses and to be part of His mission, which we all are. So you know, any door of opportunity, wherever that is, for the gospel to be to to be communicated, then. Yeah, I'm in. I'm there. Something that I'm passionate about. So just very quickly, you know, in 2002, I didn't think that there was any going to be any light at the end of the tunnel for me. I didn't think I had a life. I didn't think there was hope. And a lot of people think that people have written me off. A lot of people write, write people off because of their past. But I was so glad that when I called out to Jesus that night, he answered me, you know, the Bible says, call to me, I, I will answer you. And he wrote me in, he didn't write me off. He wrote me into his plans and purposes. And I made that decision, you know, as a Christian, I said, in, you know, to, in, to June 2004, to give him 100% everything. Okay, and when we don't do that, we don't experience, experience the fullness of the abundant life Christ has for us. When I did that, I've not looked back. I'm not saying it's been perfect. There's been times of a failed and messed up. We all do that in our walk, you know, but we serve an amazing, loving, gracious God. And and um, just encourage any Christian that's listening right now, you know, just to put Jesus first, keep him central to your life, give him everything. And sometimes we just need to come back and surrender all, and that's okay. And it's so important that, that we do that because, you know, as Christians, you know, we, we're representing Jesus everywhere we go. And that's the greatest thing that we could ever do evangelistically if we want to be a witnesses is to represent Jesus well, wherever that may be. So um, I know I've rambled on a bit or quite a lot. Oh,
0: absolutely. Um, so, uh, I, 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 I was said at the beginning that I was going to jump in with any questions, but I just wanted to let you talk. I mean, it was amazing. It's powerful to hear. I mean, I've read the book. I already know the story and it's still really powerful to hear um, from your own, your own personal, um, from your mouth. Um, yeah,
2: absolutely. It's amazing. The, absolutely. The amazing, amazing.
0: story, yeah um so uh yeah i've got a few a few questions just to follow up with but um i want to go back sort of right towards the beginning um if listeners you couldn't remember that <laughs> right back at the beginning we, um you said that you grew up in a a really sort of a, a happy house and yeah your parents were divorced but they, they got on well and you had a happy childhood and mm-hmm. um were i would say quite quite well off like you say when you when you moved in with your stepdad in guernsey um you had a lot of things and uh I think there's a bit of a um a kind of belief that people who are you know people who are addicts have had something a terrible childhood or they've had something terrible happen in their life or you know something uh something that will send them off down this path one this one split decision um and I think it's really interesting that it's uh um a couple a couple of bad decisions like you say a couple of small things that just kind of spiraled um so I just wonder if you sort of had any comment on I guess you yeah, obviously, as you said,
1: that can be the case. Somebody who has come from a background, which is perhaps, you know, part of a family that are involved in, in drugs or addiction. And of course that, that can help shape somebody's path but ultimately addiction is no respecter of person and it can happen to anybody regardless of people's background it's interesting most of the people and obviously this is living on guernsey you know the people i was doing drugs with and selling drugs to a lot of them did have very good upbringings many of them worked in the in in sort of uh, the the finance world actually as it goes or have good good really good jobs and families who had good reputations um but but so yeah, certainly not 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 always to do with with the background and for me it was just a string of unwise choices yeah that just took me into that world and, okay. and got a strong hold on me and I think it's reality is some people are more receptible to being addicted to certain things and sort of the different levels that we can get addicted and so, certainly you know i was probably more receptive to a lot of, actually a lot of my friends who were experimenting at that point many of them were able to stop um at the recreate re, recreation um level i suppose whether we're just doing it weekends but you know because of, of me being more receptive to going further i did i went to the You know, to the full-blown addiction stage, Um, and uh, you know, and I think, I suppose, because I I was deceived, I was tricked, and uh, and and that was that's what the enemy does, doesn't he? He he loses in, and we need to be wise with with his attempts and his strategies, Uh, because when you know, when we when when we sort of accept and respond, it sort of gives. The Bible talks about. um the devil having a foothold in our lives, so in me responding to that world and that addiction, I gave the enemy consent really to my life and uh, and obviously you know it took me to a place of yeah of almost almost losing everything including my life i suppose
0: yeah and I guess that's a really um a really powerful message the transformation from from being at rock bottom you know being um in prison for dealing drugs you know looking at your future with uh, probably not a lot of hope at that point. I think that's probably fair to say. Um, and like you say, the transformation that's come yeah. over you and that God's worked in your life is is amazing yeah. to see.
1: And that's it. No, you know, nobody's out of the reach of God's love. I love the story of the prodigal son. You know, he went off and he squandered his inheritance. He went, you know, and lived wildly, um, and he ended up in the pigsty. Rock, that was his rock bottom, wasn't he? You know, for a Jewish person to be mucking out the pigs—that yeah, yeah, was the yeah. lowest of the low. Um, But the father was always watching, wasn't he? And uh, and when, when he came back, he didn't point the finger. He didn't judge. He didn't even ask him where he'd been or what he'd got up to. He just embraced him with love and that's that's just that's just a, an incredible picture of of our father god's love to us so when i came to him that night in my cell i saw like that's what i experienced i didn't feel judged i just felt love and acceptance and it's the most powerful amazing incredible thing and again that's a challenge for all christians isn't it to replicate that with others we you know myself included you know I, you know completely we 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 can be quick to judge sometimes can't we and yeah, point definitely. the finger yeah I think when, when I was sorry. reading
0: yeah right. Uh, yeah when I was reading the book um, your book that is um, I read you put a few little um, snippets of your family's sort of viewpoints on it and um, and then your own sort of inter- interpretation of their forgiveness at that point and I found that was one of the most powerful things when I was reading the book um, the the way that your family just gathered around you in those times and I guess Um, it'd be easy to just cast out and to just say, yeah, we're done with you. You've had your last chance. And I'm sure you felt like you'd had plenty of last chances at that point. And uh, yeah, I think the power of forgiveness, especially from your parents as Christians that just said, yeah, we'll, we'll pray for you and give you the support you need. That's a massive thing. And I think that forgiveness does, it opens so many doorways, like you said.
1: Yes. Forgiveness is the most powerful tool in the universe. Obviously initially, you know, receiving forgiveness from God, um, that is ultimately the most incredible thing, obviously, because of what Jesus has done on the cross for us, that he's provided, you know, a way to the Father where there is no other way through forgiveness. Um, but then it's it, it's sort of then uh, replicating that again and how we forgive other people, which actually brings so much freedom and healing. So I'm a big, you know, I, I'm a big fan of prayer ministry and well, obviously, prayer is really important, isn't it? But when I've had to counsel people who have had really crazy, challenging upbringings and backgrounds, um, quite often I would say ninety percent, probably even more of the of the actual the issue is usually um, rooted in forgiveness or unforgiveness. And when I'm able to lead them to that place of being able to forgive, seeing that almost instantly that that healing that comes. And the countenance change and the freedom they they verbally express that happens at that moment is is the most beautiful thing ever, and so that yeah forgiveness is the most powerful tool that we have as Christians.
2: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I know you mentioned earlier on about um sort of the the acceptance side of things, not from a. Um, a heavenly point of view but also within uh so- socially uh, how that kind of took you along the scene that eventually ended you up um you know found yourself in in prison um, um i guess my question would would be that now you can see uh with hindsight would, would you say that you were looking to to fill almost a god-shaped hole with loads of different things to to try and you know I know you said about making money and, and, and gambling and, and uh, addiction to drugs, would you say they were all kind of quick fixes to, to help maybe maybe a, a deeper need for, for Christ there.
1: Completely. Absolutely. That's what I was searching for. Uh, I didn't realize it at the time, but like I said, I thought the popularity thing, you know, being accepted by this popular group of people and then the money and this. And I was just chasing um, this this sort of false sense of happiness that was never going to bring that. It did for a moment. Absolutely. And so, you know, like I say, initially people, I mean, people take drugs because they work and initially, and then you take drugs just to maintain sort of some level of normality and you hate it and you hate yourself. And so it's, again, it's, it's, it's like a tactic of the enemy, isn't it? To lure you into this world and, and so that he can destroy you. And, and so, yes, it was, I was definitely searching for something I, I recognize now that emptiness in my soul, um, that only, you know, that, that only gets filled through a relationship with Jesus Christ and, and being reconciled back to the father. Um, you know, the Bible talks about sons when we're adopted into God's family. Um, you know, we, it's a spirit of adoption, you know, Father God becomes our father. We become his children. Um, so it's almost that, that, that's the missing link, the reconciliation. And, and so, yeah, so when, when I sort of had revelation of that and when that happened yeah it, it it changed everything
0: yeah and I guess that um that passion then speaks out in the way that you do your ministry now and you, it's obvious that you've got a real passion for people that are in need in a similar way to the way that you were in need yeah um I guess my question would be how does how does your story how does your uh your experience of life help you to talk to people about um having a relationship with God now about how they could transform their lives in a similar way
1: yeah so I suppose my story is quite an easy inroad, um you know to have those conversations with people um, because people love stories don't they and especially if they're real life stories and obviously because of my back we've all got a story haven't haven't we? we've got the big story of of how we came to faith and it's great every journey is different and every person's journey needs to be shared regardless of how you've come to, to faith but within that we've got many stories as well of of uh, that testify to god's goodness and uh, I, I, I encourage every christian to write those many stories down because we always we can quite often forget and and uh and i believe when we're sharing um sort of the gospel with people telling people the story sometimes it's not that the big story of our salvation story that needs to be shared it could be those mini stories that that just act as links in the change to to introduce Jesus because it might be more relevant to where that person is so I think for me personally knowing the power of the gospel knowing that I believe that you know it's not God's will that any person should perish so when I speak to somebody I see them as God's will for salvation, because it's not God's will that anybody should perish. And I believe that every conversation I have is an opportunity. Um, I've learned wisdom over the years to apply. So, you know, I have a sense of where I feel they are on that, on that sort of faith journey or the Engels scale, if you're familiar with the Engels scale and, uh, and sort of, so how far I go, you know, will determine where I feel they're at. Um, But for me, it's almost creating a, a curiosity for them to want to find out more so that's my aim and that's my goal is to create a curiosity for that person to want to find out more to want to find out a bit more maybe of my story or or uh, a bit more about god and obviously then that 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 sort of um you know that creates opportunity to to invite them to explore with you maybe an an alpha course of christianity explored or whatever introduction or further conversations so it's almost you know, take, taste and see that the Lord is good. Give them a taste, a taster, so to speak. If it's right to lead, you know, to take them further and introduce them into a relationship with Jesus, then obviously I would take that as well. But ultimately, I think our role as Christians um, is to move people along on that faith journey and just be a link in that. And I've learned over the years, you know, probably early on, I was quite you know, I, I was probably a bit unwise with my approach and probably put a few people off, but we learn as we go. And and ultimately it's trusting the Holy Spirit in evangelism and, in our, and our, our efforts, because ultimately he's the one that convicts people of their sin and their need of a saviour. And he does the saving, but we have a responsibility also, don't we, to, to tell our stories, to step out, um and to to be a witness so it's a partnership and uh and when you see the, you know the work of the holy spirit it's it's incredible and it's a privilege that that god would would use use us all as christians to and call us all as christians to be on this wonderful mission with him
0: yeah i think we've something we've said before about um not not trying to get people as we said before on the podcast about trying not not to get people from a to z um trying you know if your part is to get them from you know b to f or whatever however you want to mm. sort of visualize that it's about doing the bit that god's put you in that place to do not trying to to do everything just exactly to go too far with that yeah um,
1: exactly and you know we 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 because uh, we didn't we didn't know exactly where that 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 person's heart you know and or the soil and 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 i think you know we we can almost we can ruin it actually if we go too far and, and we can put people off and we can just run ahead of what the Holy Spirit's doing. Yeah. And sometimes it does end, uh, yeah disastrous and, and that's not okay. So we need to be sensitive. and, and just, yeah and just enjoy the journey with it and, and not almost it, it, sometimes there's no evidence of anything changing. but that doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit still isn't at work in that person's life. So my mom and dad didn't see any evidence of change in me for seven years, eight years but they continued to pray and I believe the Holy spirit was just preparing my heart the whole time, you know, even though I was stubborn a lot of the time, but at that point, um, you know, that night in my cell, I was ready. And I believe, you know, that the prayer, the backup of prayer really sort of, uh, helped sort of, yeah, helped sort of, uh, get my attention. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah.
2: yeah. I guess my, my, uh, final couple of questions is probably in two parts. First of it, first of all, would be, what advice would you give to uh, to Christians who are wanting to to share a little bit about Christ with friends or family or, or anyone, but aren't really sure how? And and the second part of that would be, because we have a, a kind of a really mixed listener base. If, if for someone who was perhaps looking at Christianity uh, wasn't too sure, what what would you what would you say the best way to kind of explore the Mm. ideas of faith and things were so i guess that's a question in in two great
1: questions now amazing questions and really important i would just say for those christians who just want to perhaps uh yeah step out more and share in their faith and becoming more confident i would just say just be yourself and let it be natural in your conversation so in other words you know don't Don't use a rehearsed script um, because it will come across fake. And I think, you know, our relationship with Jesus is key and is vital. And I think that should overflow into our everyday lives, in our everyday conversations, because um, it's true, isn't it? We we talk about the things that we're passionate about, whether it's sport, um, a hobby. Um, the latest box set or or whatever you know you put two football fans in a room together you can't get them to stop talking about football it's true I'm not a football fan but I sit next to football fans at work sometimes and uh, yeah and they're passionate Um, but I think you know let Jesus become the most important thing that we're passionate about and it'll overflow and what what, it'll just be natural and people will It's it's true people will just you know, that creates curiosity in the cells because it's authentic um, and, and mm-hmm. people you're in con- con- conversation with will just really want to know why you're so passionate about, about God and about Jesus. And it can be quite infectious as well. So I would say, you know, Get passionate about Jesus again. We can, myself included, we can lose that passion at times. And I think as Christians, we need a revival of the secret place. You know that that intimate time, that prayer closet time that we spend with Jesus. As somebody once said, that the secret place is the training place for the marketplace. So what you sow in the secret place, okay, you will reap in your in your workplace with your neighbors and wherever you go. And uh I really, really believe that, you know, if you want to reach your unchurched friends, get in your secret place, you know, spend time in the presence of Jesus and let yeah, let that presence and let that passion overflow. And and then yeah, it'll just become easier. Um, sometimes you you do have to put yourself out there, you have to take risks, you have to be bold and and almost create opportunities at times, and that only comes just from being bold and taking risks and mm-hmm. but when you do the more risks you take the more you see God come through um and and also yeah it's important to equip yourself I still equip myself with evangelism training courses um, I really recommend one actually it's called evangelism Bootcamp Light by evangelist Mark Greenwood there's going to be a link I think somewhere that will be shared for you to access there it's just a free four session course half an hour each session and it talks about how to communicate the gospel, how to tell your story how to answer tricky questions and the steps to salvation so you know for a lot of us it's just refreshes stuff but so important to to be always you know keep that hot on your agenda and uh and sort of especially the way you share your story learn your story how to share it in one minute and three minutes and five minutes um because sometimes you know you'll only have a minute somebody with somebody if you're sitting next to them on a bus or a train or whatever um and you're able just to share you know your story and what jesus has done in a minute it's amazing it can be done by the way and uh, also don't try and imitate anybody else. God has made you an original, be yourself, but allow Christ to shine through you. And uh, and be bold as well in prayer, you know, praying for the sick is a great opportunity for people to encounter Jesus, because if they get healed, and I'm not saying every, you know, we pray everybody gets healed, but some people will encounter God's healing power. That's such a great introduction to Jesus. And obviously many, you know, many people come to faith because of that. So be bold in prayer. And, and, and especially, you know, that's quite often creates conversation when you offer prayer, regardless of the outcome, people just see your caring nature, that you're concerned about them, that you'd want to pray for them. And that's, a, again, a great introduction to talking about Jesus. And, um, and so, uh, so yeah, so that, that, that's, that's important. And I'd always, and I think as well, uh, buddy up with somebody. So learn, you know, I've uh, matured as an evangelist. Because I've been mentored by evangelists. So in every, every you know, I've I've become better as a magician because I've learned from from some of the best. So uh yeah, learn from people who are doing it well, people who are seeing fruit, and uh and also, you know, it's 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 being grounded obviously ultimately in the word of God as well. And I think. You know, that's how we, you know, when we're in the secret place and we're consuming God's word, we just get to know him and his nature more as well. And again, that all helps in the way we communicate with authenticity. And if you're somebody listening perhaps you've not even actually ever made the decision to become a Christian, but you want to explore further, that's great. I'd really encourage you to do that. Don't write Christianity off. You may have had a bad experience with Christians in church and a lot of people have. And uh, yeah, sad when that happens, but that's never a reflection of God. You know, you know, God is loving. He's amazing. He's incredible. He does have a plan for your life. And, uh, you know, and he wants you to know him. And, And I would just encourage you to first, firstly, speak to another Christian, you know. Tell them that you'd want to explore, ask if they'll go on the journey with you. They really should <laughs> if they don't find another Christian. And uh, and yeah, go find a course, an Introduction to Christianity course. There's plenty out there. Alpha is probably the most popular one, but there's others as well. And uh, and your friend will be able to just tell you, will show you or, or find a church near to you that's running one. A lot of them are running online at the moment and uh, there's lots of there's books out there you can read but i'd recommend a course a course where you can ask questions and uh you know and you can answer especially through alpha there's great opportunities to answer ask any question that you want and uh yeah and sort of in, in yeah in, in a safe place as well where you're not going to be judged and people will welcome any question it's great. I love doing Alpha. In fact, I met my wife on Alpha, and we got married. So that was uh, that was great. The reason to
2: join, <laughs> if nothing else, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. So um, I know you mentioned there uh, the um, uh, the Matt Greenwood course. We'll pop that in the um, the link in the yeah, listener we'll go- group. Um, so, if, yeah, if any any of you guys listening have any questions for Rod, uh, we can get those across to him if you want to pop them yeah. in the, the listener group. Um, can I just I mean,
1: mention one more thing? Of course, yeah. Yeah, so I really recommend uh, a really good one-on-one tool, evangelism tool called Jesus at the Door. So you can either go onto the website or YouTube and access, uh, videos which are delivered by a guy called evangelist, Scott McNamara. And about seven years ago, he, God gave him sort of, um, a, a prayer model really, and a conversation model that introduces people to Jesus. And it's fantastic. It's fruitful. Um, it's probably, there's lots of one-on-one tools out there, such as, as the four points. And, uh, and uh, the circles and there's just there's lots of different ones but I would say this is this is the most the most effective and probably easiest to use as well so there's lots of his teaching um, on Jesus at the door on 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 the internet but we'll put a link in as well so I really recommend uh, that that as an evangelistic tool uh, that you can use Fantastic.
2: Yeah. yeah, I would I would massively recommend as well if you haven't already got a copy of getting a, a, a copy of Rod's book which is um, The Real Deal. Um, I believe it's authentic media publications. Yes, um, but you,
1: you can uh, either order it from Eden or Amazon or you can directly go to my website which is www.therealdeal.org.uk you can send me a message and you know I'll, I'll, i think on amazon it's about nine quid um i'll i'll sell you a, i'll do you a copy for seven pound including postage so either way whatever's easiest for you really but um yeah um it's yeah. what's good about the book is I wanted it to be a bit different than a lot of testimony books so Mm -hmm. I so there's quite a few of my family members that write a page or two pages and it comes from their perspective so my dad being a policeman and a Christian my mum obviously from you know a mother seeing her son you know destroy his life and how she responded in prayer my sister actually I didn't mention this she was a prison officer in the prison i was in so she had to lock me up at night so she tells a bit of that story and that was mad as well and some of my friends as well some of who've come to faith and 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 so you hear you you just get a bit of, of a different picture and perspective and and i think a lot of people have found that really really helpful in the book definitely yeah i can definitely say that's a powerful read um i think that just about draws us to a close rod
0: um so I just want to thank you for, for sharing so openly and honestly um, and for giving the advice, like we've said at the end, um, some great tools there and some great um, things to think about whether you as listeners are either looking at Christianity for the first time or whether you're looking to evangelize more or, or hear more of other people's stories. I, I hope there's been something in here for for everyone. Um, I just want to encourage you now to um, to go to the SSOM listener group on Facebook um, and that's where we'll find we'll post all the all the things that we've talked about all the links um and if you've got any questions that's the place to ask those questions and we will respond to those um so yeah um thank you rod and thank you nick um it's been a great um a great interview and uh i've really enjoyed it so uh, i just want to thank you for all the work that you're doing and from us at some sort of miracle podcast we'll see you next time